This is the final episode in our three-part mini-series on demand, and today we're going to be focusing on everything that we did post-demand when it came to content. Spoiler alert, we didn't just publish all the recordings and send a single email out so everyone could watch them. This is going to be a masterclass on how you can repurpose and distribute content coming out of your event. DemandGenU is officially in session. Let's do it. No Jason this week, but lucky for you guys, you're going to meet the brains behind this whole post-demand content operation. And I promise you're going to be seeing more from him in future Demand Gen U episodes. So pumped to have you here today, Justin. Absolutely. Yeah, pumped to be here. So let's, uh, before we jump into this masterclass, and I know that you just put out a course on a lot of this, so I have no shame in plugging your course too. Uh, let's talk through just how we approached this, uh, because I think it's worth reminding people that maybe didn't catch the last two episodes in this little mini series of the focus of the event and why that mattered when it came to content. Yeah. And I think, I think the interesting thing too, so I came in midway into the event. So you guys had already had, I think 90% of the speakers lined up. You guys had had, you know, a lot <laughs> it was of still the, chaos, <laughs> a lot of the topics planned out, but there was a lot already there. So I came in and I think I probably had, I think it probably was like 60, almost 60 days probably to the dot of when I started to when demand was going to launch. And so it was like, hop in. All right, we're ready to go here. This is what we've got. Um, so, but for me, a lot of the, the core of it was just figuring out what we had. Um, but I had just, I had just come off of working on and producing a podcast, which you guys didn't have when I joined. And so, but I was already in that mindset of like running a show and kind of how we cut that up and what that looked like. And the more that I started looking through demand and looking at the sessions and, and trying to understand what we had, the more it just felt like a show to me and more, it felt like a podcast, even more so than like individual sessions that just get pumped out once. And that's when I had the hairbrand idea and I came to you and I was like, Hey, like, what if we, uh, what if we didn't, uh, you know, do what everybody else did and what if we, uh, try to drip this out? What would that look like? Uh, so perfect segue. What does everybody else do? And why did we not do that? Well, yeah, I think most people, like you alluded to at the beginning, most people just have their event and, and that's it. That's the pillar. That's the thing. Um, you know, all the lead up, which we did too. I mean, you do want people to attend. Um, but I think for me, as I was kind of like looking through all of what we had, it was like, man, if we don't do anything with this, we're really selling ourselves short. You know, we spent a ton of time effort, money, promoting the event, getting the speakers, uh, doing all that sort of thing. And so for me, it was like, okay, if we have all these like awesome, like A-list speakers, up and coming speakers, and we don't do anything with that content, like we're really, really selling ourselves short. And I think what a lot of people do is they have the event, the event is done, they get the recordings and they just throw them on the landing page where they had the event registration and never look at it again until next year. <laughs> and that's what happens. So there's two things that I want to call out just to set context. And they're kind of funny, but they're also very true. While we were doing this, we were a three full-time marketer team. We have a little bit of help with agencies. I tell you that not for a sob story, but to tell you that everything else that you'll learn from this episode, you can do on a small team. And I think it's a huge advantage uh, for small teams because it helps you punch above your weight class. And then the second part, which I know Justin will get a kick out of, we were talking about this when we were preparing for this, the content has to be good. And the event that you are putting on cannot 
just be about you, your company, whatever you're selling. If that's the focus of the event, which demand was not, then no one's really going to care when you try to repurpose your event into a million different pieces of legit content. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. It's like whenever you're thinking about repurposing content, you have to think through the core piece of that content. It has to be good because if you're if your core piece of content is a turd and you cut that up into 100 turds, you just have 100 turds. It, you know, it's not actually helping your audience. And so if you, if you get to that point where it's like all, if, if you have the, an event but you focus all on yourself and then you cut up that content and you distribute it out to the world, you just have a bunch of content that's all about you. It's not actually helping your audience get better and grow and, and you know, get better at their jobs. I can't wait to turn the uh, the turd comment into a social clip. I love that. <laughs> so Done. let's get into uh, maybe not just the topics, but the, how the sessions themselves were structured, because I think that lended itself well to repurpose it. So why don't you run us through kind of how we set those up? Yeah, absolutely. And this is this was a lesson takeaway that I had too. So like I said, I I came at it like most of that stuff was already prepared. So I didn't really have, you know, hey, we should, we should set up our sessions this way so we can cut this content afterward like this. Um, but what I will say is we got lucky um, because a lot of how we did end up structuring them lent themselves to be cut up. So, for instance, using a lot of panels and Q&As allowed us to take each individual question that might get answered by three experts, and you can cut out that exact question paste it over into a YouTube video, and now you have three experts in the field answering that exact question. And so it just frames itself up to be um, repurposed in that way. And not all of them were were cut up that way, so we did a nice mix of, like, panels, but then we also had some really, like, in-depth how-to content. And so we made the decision when, when we started cutting that up, like, we weren't going to cut up and distribute the how-to content. I think a lesson learned is, like, after I after I watched them and after we actually like saw the success of those, I think that might've been a bad decision. I think we actually could have cut up that content and split it up because yeah, yeah. Because there was a lot of, there was a lot of valuable pieces to be added, even if it was a how to versus a panel. All I heard was we got lucky and guessed correctly. Uh, I'm kidding, but that that happens all the time. (laughs) Uh, I love it. And then the other thing that I want to talk through before we start to jump into some of the immediate stuff that followed was lead time. So because of the fact that we recorded, I want to say maybe a little more than half of the sessions or about half, we did get a decent amount of lead time to start working on that. So run through that real quick. Yeah, I think that was honestly part of the key in all of this was the fact that we did have some of the sessions pre-recorded because... That allowed me to get a jump on with our agencies and get a jump on even just honestly the time it takes to like watch the sessions over and over. Like by the time demand actually hit, like I could probably repeat verbatim half the sessions that were that were on there because I'd watched them so much to like figure out what the best parts were. Um, but that helped lead up, uh, give us a lot of lead time to be able to get that stuff cut. So literally it was Friday we had demand and on Monday we started dropping content. And the reason we were able to, only reason we were able to do that is because we were able to pre-record some of that stuff and be able to load it up and get it cut and be all ready. And I think there's something to be said there for like tapping into the momentum that's there. That was the other thing that I know we had talked about specifically was like trying to like keep the momentum going. Cause a lot of times you like, 
everything is pushing toward this one event, you have it, and then it's like a decompress, and it's like done and over. And what I want to do is instead like keep pushing the you know that rock up the hill and say like we've got more momentum here. There's more stuff we can use. And so how can we do that? I, you know, even if you wait a week, like it just, it dies down, like the, the momentum sort of goes away. So it was like, I want to be ready as soon as, you know, that next week hits to be able to drop new stuff. Yeah. And I think we even lucked out a little bit because since we had that lead time, we were able to post many of those clips the day of the event on social too. So that was awesome to see in itself. Like that was a, yep. I'm sure it wasn't an accident for you, but I felt like I was like, oh, wow, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That, that's, a, that's a good point is we actually, because we had pre-recorded some of the sessions, I was able to get those cut and then work with our social media manager to, to get those posted throughout the day and try to drive some demand for demand, essentially. Like, not that anybody necessarily was going to, like, sign up or the day of and attend, like, in the middle of the day when they're busy working, but just to sort of say like, oh man, there's a lot going on at metadata, metadata today. What is, what is this? You know, just trying to generate some more buzz. So we've got a lot to cover. This may even be a, a, a follow-up episode on repurposing content because we want to include a, a framework uh, that you can steal and we want you to steal from us. But before we get to that framework, we want to talk about a few of the, I would just say hiccups that we had uh, because it is not all rainbows and unicorns and whatever the saying is, I'm almost 100% sure that's not it, uh, with the event. Because we had an original plan, which we thought was a good plan. Uh, we pivoted, thankfully, and I think it turned out much better than what the original plan was, but we almost could have screwed ourselves pretty big <laughs> coming out of the gate. So I'll let you explain what that plan was originally, but I think what we were trying to do is we wanted to make sure that the content was available as quickly as possible. Uh, post event, um, but we didn't want to make people wait and sit on it. So, mm -hmm. why don't you run through what our kind of Netflix style plan was? Yeah. So, it. so yeah, I think sometimes when you're trying to like do something new or do something different, it can lend to like swinging the pendulum, you know, in the complete opposite direction. That's just kind of the n nature's law there, right? Like, you, okay, we're not going to do this, so we're we're not going to just push it out on a page, so. Maybe we don't have a page at all afterward that doesn't, you know, house all the content. We're just going to drip it all out after. And that, that was the initial setup and the initial plan was, you know, we've got 11 or 12 sessions for 11 or 12 weeks after demand. Like, we're going to take each session and drop one a week, and we're going to plan that out, and we're going to do it, and it's going to be awesome. Uh, that was the initial setup. Uh, what ended up happening, though, was... One, we had sort of a recording snafu during the day of. If you guys want to hear more about that, listen to the last episode. Um, but I'm standing in the room where that <laughs> happened, and I'm looking at the window that I almost wanted to jump out of. He's having flashbacks. Um, <laughs> but so, so that was one thing was like, okay, we did have a snafu, a hiccup in terms of the, rec the, the people who were live and, and not being able to access, the, all, all of them being able to access the recording. So we have to at least be able to get them this one session. Uh, but then there was just a lot of, you know, after after the event was over, there was just a lot of people like, hey, you know, because people are conditioned to get all the content afterward, there were people who attended or registered, rightfully, who wanted the content. And so it was like, oh, shoot, we need to think through this and, and we need to be able to make sure we're actually able to give give them the content, but also keep our plan in place. And I think that's what we probably worked through. Because, you know, if you think about it from the attendees' perspective, that was a full day event. And 
as B2B marketers, we all have a million things that we're doing on a daily basis. And to ask, you know, many people who we don't even know to give up a full workday to attend this, to get the content, like that's a big ask. So what we did was we sent the plan out to a few of our customer advisory board members and said, this is what we're thinking. What are your thoughts on this? And I think it was across the board. All of them said, "Mm, I get why you would do this, but it's probably not the best way to go about it. And we pivoted. So I'd say running things like this past our cab, which we do regularly, um, saved us uh, because we could have got this wrong and I think (laughs) pissed a lot of people off in the process. Yeah, I think the other thing too, you know, in hindsight that I, you know, figured out as well was like we had two tracks. So we had two completely different, you know, sessions going at any given time throughout the day as well. Uh, and so it's not, it's, it's nobody's fault that they attended one and not the other. And, and they won't, you know, they want, would want to get that content versus like in some cases having to wait till, you know, January, like a couple months to like see it. So, um, <laughs> you know, so yeah, we, we thought through that. But I mean, do you want me to get into like, how we pivoted and what what that looked like yeah it's like uh you almost read the uh the the outline we have for the episode yeah that's right i can do my homework (laughs) uh so yeah i think um i mean it was actually a pretty it was like a mad dash because all of this stuff is just condensed down and compressed down into a time frame i mean we were probably a week out maybe even less in terms of like how are we going to get all these sessions um out at that time and so it was like within a day or two we you know tag teamed got together figured out how to get how are we going to host the videos where we're going to host them how do we keep them locked down what do we do um how do we make sure only people who attend get the link how do you know all of those types of things and so what i mean what we ended up doing is actually creating a separate page on our site and then locking that down with a password and then hosting all of the stuff on vimeo so it could be available but not not live and searchable and stuff like that but that was uh that was definitely a learning experience and i think for those that didn't see it it did not look pretty i think it it was for sure good enough but this wasn't some pixel perfect oh, yeah. uh like section of the site i don't think we cared though because it was the speed of getting the recordings out to the people who wanted them not a single person mentioned how well the page looked and i think there's something to be said about that like it doesn't have to be perfect as long as you can just get things out the door the better and i think to your point we learned a bunch there and we'll definitely have a a solid plan well ahead of demand 2022 yeah i think that that's funny too sometimes we can get our in our heads because we because the opposite probably happened for the actual demand content hub we put a ton of effort into getting that thing right before we put a ton (laughs) of you know testing and getting everything set up and making sure it looked good and so yeah, it's not that it looked bad. And actually, we lucked out because we already had all of the thumbnails created because we needed them for the other one. So it, we could get some cohesive stuff uh, done on the page. So again, it didn't look like super thrown together, but it was. Um, but to your point, the audience didn't care. You know, I, I didn't I didn't hear anything about what the page looked like or, you know, I could because at the end of the day, what people wanted was just to access the recordings in, in whatever way possible. Right. They really wanted to see you know, Dave Gearhart's keynote, or I wanted to see Jason such like, okay, cool. They, they have access to that. I'm good. Yep, for sure. All right. So let's get into the meat of this. I want to get to your framework. So I'm going to take a backseat here because you're the <laughs> brains behind this operation, but walk me through this. 
Yeah, so I threw together, it's just a basic framework, a basic few key ideas that you can use as you're thinking about not only repurposing uh, an event, you can think these work for other things as well, but these are kind of the lessons that I learned when I had to repurpose, you know, a massive all-day event into months worth of content. So I'll kind of run through, there's five key areas here that I can kind of walk through for everybody. So the first one is planning everything ahead of time. And basically what you need to think about is every, every one of those sort of who, what, when, where, why questions. You want to think through those in terms of who's your audience. And again, I, I, this, this is the learning. I didn't, have, I didn't have the benefit of being there when we planned it out. But again, I got lucky. Like we had such good speakers. We had such good, you know. Uh, oh, <laughs> let me interrupt. This was Justin's second month of being at Metadata, like I think almost to the day. So Justin had not been here for quite some time. So when you talk about throwing somebody the wolves, like this is a perfect example. All right. <laughs> yeah, totally. But I think um, part of it too is like, yeah, th- we had a, we had really good content. If I would have gotten thrown at another company with another event, like that's not maybe exactly what's going to happen. So, you know, I feel lucky in that case. But understanding who you're targeting, then what do you want out of that repurposed content? So you've got this video or session. What do you want out of it? Like, are you doing YouTube? Are you doing LinkedIn? Uh, are you posting it on your website? Like, do you want to turn it into a, do you just want a transcript? So figuring out what you want. Um, and then when, and I think that's the biggest piece for the planning piece of it is the, is the when. So then you start to plan that out. So literally I think I can't remember, uh, what week it was, but I remember Mark was like, Hey, I really want like a content calendar. Like I want to see, like, it's something we're missing. Like, what do we have? Like, what do we have coming? So I took all of the demand stuff. So everything that was going to go on our website, everything that was going to go on YouTube, everything that was going to go on LinkedIn, and it all got put on a calendar and a sauna and mapped out. So we knew in probably early October, exactly what video was going to drop January 4th. Like that's how planned out this was. And, and what that does is after the event, like as a content person, it was awesome because for me, I had put in the work, the prep work, the figuring out what, when we wanted to drop that. And I could just kind of sit back and then just as the pieces came in, publish them out and get them out and, and get them rolling and then plan on what's going to come next, you know, which for us was this podcast, ironically enough, like I had yeah. enough of a content engine built out for off of demand that I could take my full focus and pivot it over to this podcast and start prepping for that and getting that rolling. So planning is massive. Like I cannot, that's why I put it number one, like plan out what you want and it leads perfectly into number two, which is pick your distribution channels. And I I touched on it, but like really figure out where you want your stuff to go. Because I think part of the problem when you're redistributing anything, but especially with video content is like the default is to put it on YouTube. Um, that might not work. You know, I think that I'll, I'll talk about that in some of the lessons we learned, but like YouTube might not work for you. Do you have a YouTube channel or are you active on YouTube? Uh, does it even make sense for your business? Um, you know, are you going to, some people might even try to just take the YouTube video and then just put that directly on LinkedIn or put that direct, like that doesn't work. So, you know, figure out what you want to do. And for us, what we ended up deciding was we were going to go on YouTube. That was uh, a place we wanted to go. We were getting a little bit of traction there. Uh, and so we just wanted to use demand as sort of a springboard to be able to do that. We also did LinkedIn. That's where most of our focus is for social and distribution is organic LinkedIn. So we crushed that. And then the third one, and maybe you can talk about this a little bit, Mark, is mm-hmm. email. 
and and what we did with email and how you know we kind of revamped our email program through demand i think revived or brought back from the dead is a better way of of saying that you're too nice but we like up until justin joining we were a team of two full-time marketers so you can imagine what that was like and it was probably a little bit crazier than what you're imagining right now we started to do email in early 2021 and got some really good feedback on the types of emails that we were sending out we then went radio silent as we redid our messaging our positioning the website and people didn't really hear from us at all so we knew and justin and i have nerded out over this at length we knew that we needed to not only get email back up and running again but also send really really good emails emails a channel that we want to own so what we did was each week coming out of demand whichever new episode uh, or recording that we were going to be releasing we would send a really good email out every tuesday like clockwork and we set that expectation that it was coming from me you could you know already anticipate what was going to be in there uh, you had to link to the recording. You had a really solid summary of what was in there. And like people were responding to those emails. I've never seen anything like that in my life. So I was blown away by that. Yeah, it was awesome too. I think that was um, one of the main drivers. I actually know for sure it was one of the main drivers of getting traction for that content because we would share it on social. We'd get some interaction. And, and you know, when we do do stuff on social, it's not necessarily to get people to get the site anyway. Um, but whenever we'd send an email, page hits, spike, video views, spike, all of that, right? Because we had an engaged audience who, who said they wanted this content and now we're just dripping it out every single week. And granted that, like Mark said, the email content's solid and people actually did respond to it, but it was awesome. I waited for those emails so I could check the stats because <laughs> the email would go and I could see the, st- the all the stats spike. So, I love it. yeah, so yeah, definitely like figure out what your distribution channels are. If, you know, if you're not using email, maybe try that. It, it worked out really well for us uh, to be able to give us basically an excuse to email our audience and, and give them helpful content every single week. So that was that was awesome. Um, three, reverse engineer what you want. That is that is so you've got your channels, you understand where you want to go. Maybe you say, OK, I, I want to go LinkedIn. Uh, that defines what you then want out of that. So if you're thinking LinkedIn, then you probably don't need 10 minute video cuts. You might want a minute to, you know, 30 second video cuts. So, okay, that narrows down your focus there. So now, you know, you're looking for that. And then (laughs) I mentioned it earlier, but this is where the hard work comes in. Cause once you know what you want, then you have to go through and actually like watch the content, um, or or pay somebody to watch the content and figure out what the best parts are. Um, and that's a tip too, that I would say is I've been on both sides of that. I have paid, I have done recorded content and I've paid somebody, uh, an outside, uh, agency to decide what the titles were that were going to go in the clips, decide which clips to pull, decide what the text goes with the clips. And for demand, I did the exact opposite. I did all the hard work of writing out all of the titles that go with every social clip we post. And, figuring out what the timestamps are and what we needed cut and what are the titles for the YouTube videos and how does that tie in with, you know, the content that we decide to pull. So there's some nitty gritty work there uh, that you need to figure out. I honestly think that that was one of the biggest, like if you were to look back in hindsight, that was one of the biggest factors uh, in terms of what made this so successful was that 
the content stuck out for all the right reasons because we did not outsource that. Yeah, and and, and again, I think once you know what you want, it, it sets you up for a framework, framework. So, you know, to kind of pull the curtain behind even more, like I just threw a doc together and I said, okay, can I get three YouTube videos out of this? And I would go through the content and sometimes it was yes, sometimes it was like five, you know? Like, I think you have to be flexible when you're doing that, but like set the expectation of like, okay, this session has three really good questions and answers that this panel goes through. Those those are probably a starting point to be able to uh, cut into YouTube videos. So I would just pop, watch the video clip, get the timestamps, put it in a Google Doc, and I would do that for all the YouTube ones. And then for social, it's funny, like the first one, I think I pulled like 17 <laughs> videos for social because it was just like, gold like it just there was more and more stuff coming out of it i'm like this like fits our audience it's the perfect topic like so many opinions like if you have a really strong opinion like that's money grab that quote um but then other ones there might have been like three or someone was like eh, this doesn't you know so i think being flexible in terms of that like my goal was was three youtube clips and five social videos out of each session that was the goal some were more some were less um, but at least I had an idea and a starting point to go. Cause I think otherwise it just is way too overwhelming of like, there's so much content I could pull out of here. Should I, you know, pull 20? And it's like, not always, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, you got, you got anything, Mark? No, I think like, I totally agree with that because if you are too rigid when it comes to that, then you kind of put out mediocre content. So like, if you're trying to say we have to have, 10 social cuts from every single session. Like some of the sessions were incredible. A lot of them were, some of them were good. I think some of them were, were maybe a little too advanced. And like, that was a big learning for us too. And we wouldn't have learned that unless we did this event. So I think flexibility was key. And then just knowing, you know, Hey, there are going to be specific sessions where you get a ton of gold from, and that's great. And there may be some that you thought you were going to get some gold from and you didn't get nearly as much. And that's also fun. Yep. Totally. Um, and th- this one is particular to launches and particular to, or particular to event launches. Uh, number four is record your sessions before. We had talked about that a little bit earlier, but that is such a help to be able to get that content out and be able like, I don't, and we'll, we'll have to, we haven't started talking about demand 2022 yet, but like we'll have to figure out what that mix is between like recorded and live. And cause I think there's something to be said for live content as well, but Having some of that content be recorded uh, was just so helpful because then it just allowed us to drop that stuff as soon as the event was over, keep that momentum going and be able to actually drive um, drive traffic to it. The exact same thing could be said for like a webinar. Like if you do a webinar, how fast can you get, you know, if you pre-record it, maybe you launch it again, you know, soon after, but how can you plan to be able to get that stuff out and be able to cut that up uh, quicker? So I went into this thinking that it was going to be kind of lame that we had this many recorded sessions. And I think the reason why it was, it blew me away and we cover it in the last episode was it, the plan wasn't just to pre-record them. The plan was to pre-record them and then give you access to whoever the speaker uh, or panelists were in the chat. So if we would have just had pre-recorded sessions and you couldn't ask questions directly to those experts in the chat, no one wants that, but because we made those people available, uh, so you had, you know, access to ask really whatever you wanted. Like, I think it's that combination that really drove the experience. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Having, having it to where it's not, I don't feel like I'm just watching a video, you know, I actually, there, there's another element to that. Um, and number five, number five, uh, this one, you know, it's not something that came to mind at first, but it's definitely one that as I thought through and tried to lay this out, like what was something that I maybe didn't think of at first, it's number five, don't skip on the details. And, and really what I mean by that is things like branding. So one of the things for demand is we had awesome branding for demand. We had a whole sub brand built out just for an event. Um, and so that, and, and especially when you're thinking about the details of repurposing video content, the more that I got into it, the more I realized like, oh man, there's so many things we need. So we need a music track. We need maybe a video to stinger to play at the beginning of our videos. We need social rappers to be like, what, you know, what does the, oh, we'll make a social video. Okay. That's sounds great. But then like, what does that look like? You know, there's a lot of details that go into those things <laughs> that I didn't think of at first. You don't know how difficult it is to find good background music for videos like this until you actually have to do it and sift through the million horrendous recordings. So anyone who's done that before, you know how painful it is. And by focusing on details like that, that helps your content stand out. Yeah, and I think the cool thing we were able to do is keep the sort of demand brand alive but also freshened up for the post event experience so we had all of our stuff for demand we had kind of a look and feel that was already established before i had gotten here but then we revamped it and kind of refreshed it for all the social graphics for things like youtube thumbnails which is a whole other thing that we could talk about like when as soon as you have 20 thumbnails then you come into the the problem of like oh crap these all look the same what do we do and so like you know, it's all of those little details that go into repurposing your content, but being able to create something um, that is cohesive makes a massive difference. So I do want to give two shout outs real quick on that last point. So again, we had three marketers, Jason, myself, and Justin, but we did have some help. Uh, Algert, our creative agency that we work with, helped out a ton, uh, really with anything branding uh, about demand. And then uh, Amy Woods and Content 10X, helped us out a ton. Uh, you quarterbacked the entire thing, probably won the Heisman like five times over, but uh, we definitely had some uh, very, very strong partners that helped us you know, put this out, and it was our first year. Absolutely, yeah. That's, that's an underrated thing as well as finding good partners who you can work with to you know, it's a lot of the, a lot of the grunt work too, you know, a lot of the stuff they, they, both of them were able to kind of take our vision and and work to kind of make that a reality to where we were able to just kind of publish it out and, and, and look good doing it too. So yeah, it was awesome. Sweet. Let's get into questions from the class and Q and a. So first one results, uh, if the blogs didn't rank, did they still consistently get traffic? Uh, did the videos keep getting views would be great to dig into that. Yep. So that is, that's maybe an interesting thing too. So we, when we did our site content for demand, what we ended up doing was basically summaries and Mark and I, we had talked about that. It was like, okay, what are we going to do for like the written piece, the written content that we want? Do we want to do a blog? Do we want to do a transcript? Like, what do we want to do with that? And so what we landed on was doing kind of like a combination of things. Like we took the summaries we had them bust out um, quick little summaries of the key takeaways that we had. 
and then we were able to embed the video player in there and allow people to watch the session. Um, but yes, uh, none of them were SEO focused. So I think that's the other thing. We, we went into this again, and it, it kind of goes back to the planning and, and understanding what you want in the last section, but like understand if you're going to do a 500 word summary, it's probably not going to rank for anything. Therefore, you have to figure out a larger distribution strategy, which for us was social with all the video. Like that's why we got all the videos cut was to be able to push on social multiple times a week. Um, and then we talked, we touched on a little bit, but the main driver was email. So um, understanding we have sort of a captive audience in our email list and being able to drive traffic. Um, and then also the other thing too, I would say, I guess, is we did actually slowly, you know, we're slowly been growing our YouTube channel. I'm not going to sit here and say we're, we're hitting it out of the park on YouTube, but I was pleasantly surprised after we started consistently dropping uh, YouTube videos that we gained subscribers and gained, you know, a fair amount over the last few months. And again, I'm not saying we're perfect. We have a lot to learn there as far as YouTube goes um, and put some, you know, dedicated resource behind it. But as far as like being able to repurpose that content and, and get that out there. Yeah, we did see we did see consistent um, kind of growth in those, especially especially the week of. All right, let's get into the next question. Where did you see unexpected success and what did you learn? So I was not expecting uh, email to be as big a play as it did. I was expecting probably like LinkedIn or if we put any paid behind, like trying to get this content viewed, that that would be kind of our number one driver for this. Um, but e email just dominated in terms of getting, getting traffic and, and engaging the audience. Um, I think the other sort of unexpected success would be the page like the hub itself so we when we when we did this we were making it i mean you know i was making it up as i go along like nobody's putting out uh a netflix like experience for their event not that i knew of at the time anyway so it was like <laughs> well, i don't know we'll just see if this works like and and uh i'll tell you what i was i was super pumped so part of it too is just how the page and how everything came together like at the end like we were able to put the full line up there so people could actually go to the page and see what was coming in the next couple of weeks. Like it was, it was a really cool experience to be able to see um, all that stuff come together. And I think honestly, like seeing people engaged like throughout the months, that was the other thing too, is like, are people going to even like want to like, is this old content that people just aren't going to care about anymore? And so I think like part of the uh, learnings from that is like, yeah, absolutely. Like if the topic is good and if the content is good, like that stuff can run through. Yeah, I think that really stuck out to me was, and I'll speak for myself, but I think a lot of marketers just assume that you always have to have you know fresh, new content every single time. And sure, that's true in some cases, but you're also probably not distributing it well enough, and you're assuming that everyone sees it the first time that you distribute it. So mm -hmm. we had these sessions you know, since the last week of October and we're in mid January right now. And we just sent out the last email uh, with one of the demand sessions and people were just as excited about the content responding back to the email. So that was a big surprise. And then the second thing that I would share is, and it sounds so dumb to say this, but how important it was for us to be consistent on when we were sending emails and when a new session was being published every single week because we set that expectation with people and they knew mm -hmm. that, hey, mm -hmm. when Mark from Metadata sends an email on Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central, that, shocker, there's going to be some good stuff in there and you should probably open it and go check it out. 
I mean, our open rates were north of 50% on almost every email. Like, I've never seen that before. And that's interesting, too, because if I remember right, we we were very, uh, and this is maybe like <laughs> an unspoken mantra at Metadata, but we were very forthright and open with the audience in terms of what was going to happen. So when we sent when we sent out even the initial email after demand, it was like, all right, every Tuesday we're going to send, you know, a drop a new session. And every Tuesday and Thursday, we're going to drop new videos on YouTube. That was on us to be able to act on that. But like yeah. setting that expectation, like, you know, not companies aren't always that forthright with their audience to be able to know what it is. Like, I think sometimes we expect them to like figure it out or learn. And so I think, uh, and it, I, it was probably you that drove that, but I, I loved that. Like just that honesty of being able to like, here's the plan. Here's when you're going to get content from us. Here's what you can expect. Uh, hope you join and hope you hope you learn from it. Yeah, it's like uh, promise something and then follow through on it. It's this revolutionary concept. Uh, <laughs> crazy, crazy. <laughs> and then last question: uh, Were any of the repurposing plays unsuccessful? What would you have done differently? Yeah, you know, I think one of the biggest ones for me um, that was not what I would say is successful is some of the YouTube plays we did, and so. Like we would drop the big YouTube video on Tuesdays and we would get a good amount of views and a good amount of traffic because it was dripped out through email. And so we would, people would watch the, watch the episode, watch the show. Um, and then we would drop cuts on that Thursday and then we would drop cuts, drop cuts again on Saturday. But because we don't have a massive YouTube audience, the traffic amounts on those separate videos that we were cut would be pretty low because there was nothing unless you were subscribed and again a super small audience unless you're subscribed there really wasn't any way for anybody to know those videos exist and so i think moving forward like that's where my head's at right now is trying to figure out okay we're able to drive traffic hopefully in the meantime between now and the next demand we're able to actually get some more subscribers on youtube that'll be helpful um, but how do we continue to drive and push people over to YouTube to where we do have this good content that's dropping out three days a week? They just might only think it's one, um, you know, so like trying to really trying to figure out how to harness that in. I think that was, again, maybe not unsuccessful, but it was it was it wasn't as good as I thought. And it was um, definitely a key learning. So I'll preface this by saying I am nitpicking here and like nitpicking at the smallest little things because Justin knocked it out of the park with all of this. But one of the things that I don't think we thought about was as we were repurposing and promoting, you know, the sessions that were coming out, we didn't tap into giving those recordings ahead of time to the panelists or mm -hmm. the speakers. And I remember Devin Reed reached out to me. He was like, yo, like, why didn't you send me these? Like, I'll pr promote these for you. And I think I maybe got a little, uh, I don't know. I didn't want to abuse their audiences because they helped us uh yep. promote demand so much leading up to it but that was something that we'll definitely do next year and we'll we'll give people th the social clips just because it, it's good for them it's good for their personal brand and at the end of the day it's helping promote demand yeah no i think that's a great a great point to to point out too i think we were so good pre-demand working with the speaker we were good post demand <laughs> no no no. i'm saying just in terms of like inter interacting with the speakers uh interacting yeah, with yeah. The, the the people who were who were helping us out and i think that is the the one thing we probably laxed on was like okay how do we help and again you don't want to feel like you're bugging them or like you know especially you know like bingo you, know, you don't want to feel like you're using these people either but i think like using them and just providing them with the stuff in case they want to use it or are interested in it some people actually were 
you know, like you said, definitely reach out to you. Some people were actually uh, way more interested than others, and I would send them over the video clips, and they would, oh, thanks, awesome, I, you know, because they've got four video clips now that they can post on social that they didn't have before. Exactly. Justin, this was awesome. It's almost like you've done this before. We will definitely have you on uh, plenty of more episodes of Demand Gen U, so make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. See you guys. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Demand Gen U. If you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to get future episodes. You can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by DMing us on LinkedIn. If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you. This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self-optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns, and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta, and ThoughtSpot use Metadata to automate the time-consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter.